just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. This is Johnny Ball and you are listening to Speaking Influence. As we get things started for the show, this is, well, an unusual episode in some senses because probably it is the most conversational episode that I've had. And my guest for the show was someone who just got on very, very well from the moment we connected. He is someone who had listened to the show before and got in contact with me because he wanted to come and be a guest on the show. And once I saw what he was about and once we had connected and spoken, I thought, yeah, this is going to be a good chat. And, and that was probably the only thing I really did know is that it was going to be a good conversation, one that people would want to listen into. My guest, Brandon Eastman, is someone who has exceptional sales skills, has done very well in presenting and training sales as well. That's what he realized he wanted to go into. We talked about that somewhat in the call. And we also talk very much about energy and mindset behind presentations and standing up in front of people and influencing people. The importance of energy and influence was a big theme of what we talked about as well. And I felt that I was getting interviewed as much as I was interviewing. So it very much was a back and forth where you'll hear a lot more probably from me than you do in most episodes. And we carried this conversation on to Brandon's show as well. And I will post a link into the show notes so that you can listen to that conversation too, where some of the themes continued and we delved into some of the stuff that Brandon wanted to get into. And it very much is a natural flow on from this conversation. Speaking influence has an ethos behind it. And I've got much clearer about that as the show has developed. My hope is that this show is a resource for people who want to put out good, positive, beneficial messages, products, and services into the world, to be able to understand the tools of influence and persuasion, and to use them within an ethical framework to share your good stuff with other people. And to know that there are so many people out there who are using what's often called weapons of influence and persuasion just to make a buck and really don't care about how they do it, whether they're actually serving people, whether it's authentic or whether people are getting value for money or anything like that. So lots of people have been getting ripped off. It gives the industry a bad name. It gives marketers a bad name, gives coaches and everyone else a bad name, unfortunately, but we can't get rid of those people, but we can arm ourselves to be more aware of what is good and to have a better understanding of ourselves, what works, what doesn't work. And when we understand the tools of influence and persuasion, we have a much better chance to protect ourselves against them if they are being used on us for reasons that we might prefer them not to be. 
That's not to say we will always see it or spot it, but we do increase the likelihood that we can better protect and serve ourselves. So the tools of reference and persuasion themselves have no real ethics, but we do. We have a choice of how we use them, how we employ them, and what we choose to put out into the world. And it is my hope that anyone who's tuning into this show is choosing to put out only good things into the world and to use the powers of influence and persuasion for good. In order to give us a full picture of the world of influence and persuasion, on the show I've spoken with psychologists, secret service agents. I've got an upcoming conversation with a body language expert. I've spoken with professors of rhetoric, professional speech writers, and more besides psychologists, people who've escaped from religious cults. We have a lot of interesting conversations about what actually is effective in influence and persuasion. And sometimes we take a look at the less ethical sides of influence and persuasion as well, so that we can have the awareness of where these tools are applied in more negative frameworks. So that's enough of an introduction to the show. If any of what I said resonates with you and you are someone who is choosing to put out good stuff into the world, I hope you will subscribe and be a part of the Speaking Influence community because you would be the kind of person I want to connect with. You will be very, very welcome. Without further ado, please listen to and enjoy my conversation with my guest, Brandon Eastman. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that explores the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and in business with persuasive presentations and professional podcasting coach Johnny Ball. If you have an online business, you need to work on list building. The best way to get started for free is ConvertKit. It's recommended by industry pros like Pat Flynn, Chris Ducker, and our very own Johnny Ball. Get the link in the show notes and start building your list today. Welcome to Speaking Influence, Brandon Eastman. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, John. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate it, especially at a time of year when most people are vacationing. You and I are amongst those who are still getting their jig on and uh, making things happen. Absolutely. There can never be a lapse in, in bringing the positive word to the people. And you are vacationing, though, so you're kind of doing both at the same time, right? Uh, a workation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't quite work for me. You know, I, I think uh, switching off for a week or a few weeks would be great. Uh, I don't have to. I'm going to have to wait until a bit later on in the year for that, but I'm okay with it because I get to speak to you and that's what makes it worth staying around. Absolutely. If you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you choose to be? Oh, what an awesome question. Okay. So we went to this resort a couple of years ago. It's called Excellence and it's in Punta Cana and it's an all-inclusive resort. It's adults only. And I'll tell you, I love this resort because I've been to several different resorts. And for those who've been to all-inclusive resorts, they're, you know they're incredible. You've got the drinks, you've got all the different bars, you've got the shows, the entertainment. What I liked about this resort versus even where I got married, which was in Mexico, in Cancun, was the beach at this resort was absolutely incredible. I'm a morning person. Well, not really, but I get up in the morning and I, I've trained myself to become a morning person. And I got up every day at 6 a.m. and went out to the beach before the sun rose in Punta Cana. And I would run down the beach every single morning. I would do a mile or two on the beach. And it was the most serene way that I could have possibly started my day. Because after the run, we then went to breakfast and had all these exotic fruits. And it was probably the perfect day to 
perfect way to begin any day. So if I had to be anywhere in the tropics on the beach. That sounds like a, a pretty good choice. I've stayed <laughs> in some all-inclusive places in the past as well. I know they're pretty fantastic. Well, great. Now, going beyond where we would rather be in the world than where we actually are right now, <laughs> we're here to talk. This show is able to talk about influence and persuasion. And as a sales trainer and a podcast host as well, then you know a thing or two about influencing and persuading people. And so tell us a bit more about what you do and why you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember finding you originally from Matchmaker and I, I reached out to you and we, we chatted several times and I'm excited to have you on my show too. But I grew up in the world of sales and that's why I found an interest in speaking influence and in all the people that you talk to because I started in sales when I was 18 years old, right? 100% commission sales. You get what you, you get out what you put into it. And I started doing very well right off the bat. And I don't know if it was because I was a natural or if it was just because I liked talking. I later found that talking itself will not influence anybody, right? You have to get the other person to talk so you can get some information. But I did very well off the bat. And growing up in sales, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've learned what works, what doesn't work. At the beginning, I never really knew how to explain what worked to people. But after starting to train people in my early 20s, I started to realize, wow, I kind of like training people to sell more than I even like to sell myself, right? Because I, I think, Johnny, we're all selling every single day of the week, right? We're selling in conversations. We're selling our ideas, our philosophies. Where you want to go to dinner that night is a sale, right? Possibly one of the most difficult sales of all for some people. So I grew up in sales. I went from selling to becoming a sales trainer to opening my own business to help sales teams to earn more income, but not just earn more income, but to find more meaning and purpose in the work that they're doing, because that was a significant turning point in my own career for me. Yeah. It's interesting. I found myself having this kind of conversation with a lot of my coaching clients about making things more than about just themselves and how important that is. Because now even just today, having a chat with a client and one of the things that was coming up for this client was that they were having some fear about making calls. We're not, we're not even talking sales calls here. We're talking like some calls to set up some collaborations and to get some things going and it's probably normal for people to have those things but often what i find helps the most is to get people reframed on this isn't just for you look at what you're doing for people look at how you're going to be helping them this is for them and if you remind yourself about that when you're making these calls then i think that can pull you through some of the fear factor that comes up for people the stuff that perhaps makes people procrastinate. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about in terms of finding the meaning in work? Absolutely. And there's a couple different things there that we could go and talk more about. But the one thing that you said that is absolutely true, and I say it to every single person, whether I'm working with a leader to help them give a more effective and powerful presentation, the reality is 90, 99% of people, or realistically, maybe about 90 to 92% of people they get very nervous and anxious before they're about to give a presentation to one person, a group of people making a phone call for a collaboration. And it's exactly for the reason that you said they're thinking about them. They're thinking about how they're going to appear to the other person. They're thinking about where things might go wrong and they're really projecting into the future and seeing an outcome that they don't want 
on their visual screen of their imagination, right? And it literally is a simple shift of thinking about me, 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 right? To thinking about the person that you're delivering the message to. And it is the simplest switch that you can make mentally. But when I had, I didn't come up with that myself. My mentor told me when I, when I was starting to train sales teams, the first sales training I did, I was asking him, how should I say this? How should I transition from this point to this point? And he said, Brandon, you're overthinking this. He's like, just give them what you want them to know. Tell them the information that's going to help them to sell better. That's going to help them create goals for their sales and for their life. Cause that was my first training was a goal setting and time management training. He's like, As long as you're going into that training, regardless of your emotions and feelings, as long as you're going in there to serve them, you're going to do a great job. Because if you're there to serve other people and if you're there with the intention of service, then there's no way that you can fail. Yeah. I find as well, it's one of the things that perhaps stops people from having some fun with what they do and maybe even just being themselves to... I'm a little bit playful. I, I like to play. I like to joke around with people in a nice way, you know, not in a, any kind of sarcastic or mean way. I just genuinely like to be played with people. I like to use it as a connection tool. Humor, I think, could be very powerful as a way of bonding and, and creating quick trust and friendships with people. And really, when people get in their heads and they're too worried about what are they going to think of me, what are they saying about me, what if they reject me what if they tell me where to go all these kinds of things whilst all that's going on of course you're going to take it all very seriously and it it becomes this super serious thing where like you said you get in your head all about it but you can't just enjoy the process and be yourself with it until you get into being there for them and then maybe you can relax a bit more about it because it doesn't matter so much what they may think of you or what judgments they might be making when you are actually just doing something for them. It's like you can take yourself out of that headspace and just be there for them. Yeah. And I I think you're spot on. And I, I would also say it really comes down to one word I found, which is awareness, right? Awareness that you're even in your head in the first place, awareness of how you're feeling at any given moment in time. And it's a lot easier said than done. We'll go throughout our days, even me to this day, I'm working to get better on it myself, but I'll be unconsciously going through my day probably for at least 90% of my day, right? And a year ago, year before that, it was 95 to to 100% of my day. I'd be going through automatically and unconsciously. And I think a big part of what you're saying here is the self-awareness of what even is unique about you and what what are your quirks, right? What makes you stand out to people? Like from when I first met you, you didn't have to tell me, you know, I like to be playful, have fun with people. I just got that vibe from our conversation. And I noticed, oh, John's not a too serious guy who's like, this is what we're going to talk about. This is how we're going to do things. You had a conversation with me, right? And you were yourself. You gave me your smile. Even at some points in our communications, you were vulnerable about you know what's going on in your life. You were telling me stories about yeah. you. And I think in order to really take those strengths and that quirkiness, number one, we should be open about our quirks, right? For me, like I know I'm not a jokester. Like I'm not like when I make a joke, a lot of times people won't laugh. 
right? But they will laugh because of my quirkiness of telling the joke. I'll tell it. I'll laugh. I'll smile and laugh because I thought it was funny. And they're not laughing at the joke. They're laughing at me thinking that my own joke was funny. So it's being aware of your own quirks and, and not being afraid to use them, whether it's in front of a room, whether you're in front of a customer or a prospect, or you're making a call for a collaboration. It's being aware of your quirks and just being unapologetically you and who you are. Because if that other person doesn't like that, there's millions of other people that you could talk to instead who will appreciate you for who you are. But I I don't think that's really going to happen. I think that most people are pretty open to who you are, your quirks. And uh, yeah, so I I think you should embrace your quirkiness. I agree. It's usually where people are trying to be something that isn't really authentic to them is where you get a disconnect and where people are actually thinking, oh, I'm not sure about that, or I'm not sure I like this person. And you know, I always feel this with people who sometimes try too hard to be liked mm-hmm. by everybody and they're trying to please everybody. And the, the reality we know for this is when you're trying to please everybody, you ultimately will end up pleasing nobody because you have to do mental gymnastics you have to be something of a contortionist to be able to try and even get to a level where people are okay with it but people are not going to love that and they're not going to hate it either they may just be okay with it and that's kind of bland so it's it's a no-win situation if you're trying to be everything to everybody you are going to end up being very bland at, at best best case scenario and so it's, there's something we put on toast in England that I don't know if you've ever heard of it called Marmite and people either yep. love it or hate it. And uh, so it want to be a bit more like Marmite, have people, have people either <laughs> love you or hate you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's okay. You know, create a, create a reaction because if you just kind of blend the four and first you're not memorable, but other than that, it, it's, it's no fun. It's no fun for you. It's, uh, and it means, probably means that your true personality isn't shining through. Now, let me, I want to dive deeper into that with you because I find that fascinating what you just said. But I also believe there's a fine line. And I'm curious to see what you hear think about this. I, I believe there's two parts of that, right? Being yourself, being authentically you, being able to determine and be aware of what your quirks are, what makes you special to the prospect, to the room of people you're talking to. But then we're also told, Hey, John, success leaves clues. So if you want to be a more powerful presenter or speaker or salesperson, you should garner inspiration from people who have preceded you, right? People like Pastor T.D. Jakes, people like uh, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, other salespeople like even Wolf of Wall Street, Grant Cardone. Like We're told to look at inspirations and model those inspirations for what they're doing and pick one person. And like to give you an example, When I first started training rooms of people, whether it was 17 people and one of my first presentations is like 50 people. So I was very nervous. I was very anxious. I think those are the normal emotions. Even to this day, if you don't have an ounce of anxiety in your body before you're giving a talk to anybody, like a big group of people, then that means that you're probably not as prepared as you think you are. Right. But I've Mm. I've learned to take that feeling of anxiousness and turn it into excitement, which is something we can talk about. But when I first began, I would look up to individuals like Tony Robbins and he was my main inspiration. I would watch him, even the early videos of him when he was in his late 20s, early 30s speaking. And I would literally copy the mannerisms he would do. I would watch what he was doing with his face when he told the joke. I would watch how he moved his arms. I'd watch how he moved around the room and I would literally model him 
in my apartment kitchen at the time, just trying to be more like him in terms of presentations. So much to the point where I did not lose a piece of myself because I didn't really know authentically who I was at that point, but I very much became like a little clone of him for the first few years of me presenting and talking to rooms. And I guess my question to you is, how much of what we do should be modeling? How much of it should be authentic? And is there a point where at the beginning you should do one or the other? Do you know who you are at the beginning? I I guess, what are your thoughts there? It's a very interesting question and one that I do have some thoughts about and (laughs) have had some good have had some big thoughts about this for many years and which have been evolving in that process as well. And what I'll start with with this is when I first got into the personal development world and started learning neurolinguistic programming and things like that, and there, there was a whole big piece on modeling that we did early on. And we very much saw people in that environment very much saw that, that happening. So there was somebody at the head of the training company. This isn't, the company that I work with at the moment, this is way before that. And there were a whole bunch of trainers beneath them. And several of the trainers, particularly, you could see were very strongly modeling the guy at the top. Mm. Much in the way that you're talking about, like mannerisms, even sort of style of dress. And this is even for a female trainer as well as a male trainer. And what I could see with them along that journey, because I got to know them quite well, was that they were also somewhat losing themselves as a part of that and so Mm. whilst i think there is some good stuff in modeling i also think it's it's troublesome if it goes down that kind of path of i don't know if you're even old enough to remember the film single white female the bridget fonda film where she basically (laughs) takes over this other woman's life and starts making herself uh, look like this woman dressed like her and eventually sort of steals her life and that, that was from some time back, but it's that kind of principle. That's ultimately what it ends up being, but it's not authentic and, and it's not who you are. When I think of modeling now, I think of it more in terms of you want to look for the traits, the, the things that like the values, the traits and values of the people who you want to model and be more like, and then ask yourself, what is it in those values and traits that you want? Do you have that in yours? How can you express that then through your values and traits? And where does it fit with your own value system? How important is that? Because if you don't know what your own values are right now and what your own personality traits are, it's going to be hard to see where that would fit in anyway. So I think you need to have some self-reflection, first of all. I understand what you're saying, that you weren't really too sure of yourself at that time. And and I I think that's pretty much how I felt at that kind of time as well. But I was also very aware of that danger zone. You know, I know there were people who, if you ever heard of Milton Erickson, that's all father of modern hypnosis. Many of the people who followed Erickson would wear purple because it was, uh, because it was a color that he would wear. And uh, so they would wear purple and think it was the color of hypnosis. And there are still people who do that as well, I'm sure. But you know, what, what else were they going to do? Start rocking around in a wheelchair because the guy was in a wheelchair. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's only so far, so far you can take it before it just becomes mimicry instead of actual uh, modeling. And so I, I think modeling really has to be, you look at what you admire in that person and, and who you want to be most like. 
And really, we probably do our real modeling when we're more around the ages of nine to 13. So if you think mm. about who you most looked up to then, that's probably who you've mostly been aspiring to be like in your life. And for me, that's yeah, like, I think that's uh, absolutely I think insightful. Uh, yeah. For me, it's like Spider-Man and the Flash or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like superheroes. I was completely obsessed with superheroes. But, but part of the reason, like, okay, they're not real people, but there was values mm -hmm. that they represented. And some of those values are still important to me now in my life. And although I have a, a bit more of a nuanced understanding of them than I did at that age, those values are still important. And I, I can still adhere to what was important and what's still important about the things that I related to with that and that I wanted to be more like. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, it, it absolutely does. And I think that I, I like what you mentioned about the values and defining your values, defining your traits, how you want to stand out. I think it's important even to determine in sales and presentations, whatever it may be, how you want to be perceived by the room of people that you're going into. And I think that there's a lot going into it even before the presentation that's super important, like seeing what you want the outcome to look like, the the proper planning that goes ahead of time. I think the the biggest advantage aside from all the disadvantages that brought me of modeling other people, notably Tony Robbins, the biggest advantage was it helped me to, in a sense, split up my identities in a way that served me in different situations. Almost like when I was in front of a room, I had a mask on. When I was in front of a customer, I had a different mask. When I'm home with my family, I put a different mask on. I think the danger was when that one mask started to follow me into many different situations. And I think you'd agree that those masks that we wear have advantages, right? You don't want to walk into yeah. a room and present to people with the same mask that you're wearing when you're home with your wife, home with your husband at 7 p.m. watching Netflix. Like It's a very different mask. It's a very different energy. And modeling helped me determine what I wanted that mask to look like for me. But I also think what really helped me, and I would have continued to go down the road, like you mentioned, like people like Milton Erickson, they would literally wear what he wore. People that you watched would become the person above them. I think what stopped me going down that road was my personal coach at that time and my mentor who worked in the company with me, who was honest with me. And I think the people you surround yourself with, especially in this sense, are very important because he said, you know, Brandon, it almost seems like you're, you're larger than life and you're not real to some of these people in the room. And if you're not real to the people that you're talking to or even selling to, then they're not going to want to take your advice. And, and you're certainly not going to influence people if you are not real to them. So with that advice, at first, when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, you know, what do you know? Like, just because I've, I've surpassed you in the ability of public speaking, right. you start to think that people yeah. are envious, but you, you have to obviously consider the source, but if multiple people are telling you that maybe you're being a little bit too much or even outside of who you really are, then maybe it's time to take a step back and ask, okay, well, I've modeled this. I've worn this mask for a while. What traits, like you said, and what values can I dissect from this and kind of let the rest of it melt away in a sense? Mm. And it took this, time, but I was yeah. eventually able to do that. Yeah, and there's a, there's a few there's a few interesting related things to that as well. And the the reason why I think maybe I was a bit more a bit more aware of it is because I saw some people I really felt that they were losing who they were, and 
But I, I know they both ended up becoming aware of that. So, you know, they didn't get so lost that they completely lost who they were. One of them to the extent that she left. And I think it took her a while to, again, to figure out who she really was from that. I think that was the, the bigger thing there. It's like, well, I think you probably will come through it. But ultimately, I think if you get lost in someone else's personality and turning yourself into them, it's going to take you a lot longer to pull the threads apart and to find yourself uh, in the, find yourself in the sort of mist of uh, everything that's been going on there. And another guy who, again, ended, didn't really sort of come away from that until he stepped back from working there as well and, and away from that whole environment. And then again, I think it just took a while to really discover, to discover himself and, and get back to who he really was. And once those, once those personalities come out, then you know, that's great once you've, once you've got it figured out. But I think it's actually a, a roadblock for many people, an obstacle to really finding that. So I'm glad for you that you had somebody there to shine a light and say, oh, <laughs> take stock here, take some notice. Because I think first, that, that's not always there for some people. Yes. In public speaker training, I don't know if you ever had this, but a lot of people teach gestures. Have you ever come across that? Oh, and people have criticized my own gestures, told me to gesture in a different way, especially like Toastmasters, even some Dale Carnegie trainings will do that too. Some of it was constructive, but others were like, why are you trying to take away what makes me me? Yeah. But you know, there, there are some gestures that get specifically taught as these are the gestures that speakers do. And so, you know, you do the, the thinker or computer pose where you've got your, your hand on your chin or... I'm trying to think as well as that applicator is, uh, I think that's not applicator is like, please, please, you've got your hands up. <laughs> raised up. You know, they're, 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 these are, they, they make sense in terms of what they're there to do in terms of body language and stuff. But when people are doing them, they tend to look very robotic and it takes a yes. long time for people to look natural with gestures that they're using that aren't natural. And I think it's okay to have them and to understand them. But ultimately, if you're going to bring them into speaking and training work or any kind of uh, public arena, even, even just in like networking meetings or anything like that, it's going to, people are going to be wondering if you've just come from Stepford and <laughs> you know, but, uh, maybe a bit of a robot. And, and, you know, I think that there's, there's several different types of people when it comes to gestures. And I think. So let, let's talk about gestures in terms of presentations like we've been doing right now. I think that some people are too much in their own head that they're afraid to make any gestures at all and their arms are to their side, right? And they're not moving much. They're not moving around the room. Their tone is the same tone the entire time. And then you've got the generic speaker pose, which is, you know, you're moving your hands like this as you talk or the classic where you've got the person doing this and they just keep clapping their hands together like this, which is a sign of nervousness when I see people do that, but it's also a sign of people just not truly being who they are when they're speaking because you don't need to curate your gestures beforehand. Maybe if you're like the president of the United States or some world leader, maybe when you're giving a very curated and specific speech, maybe then it's important to say, okay, at this point, it would be powerful if I did like this with my hand to really deliver a point across. But when you're curating all that now, again, like we said at the beginning, your mind is off. What is going to be best for my audience to hear? And now your mind is back to what do I need to do with my body in order to be congruent with this? And really, the, the key, easier said than done, but the key is to remember who you're talking to, 
why you're the person up there giving this presentation, right? You should be completely prepared before you're giving this, unless it's like a, an impromptu, Hey, John, can you tell us what you've been doing to make you successful lately? And you got to stand up and give a talk, but your, your gestures can be true to you. It's just important that they are congruent at the same time. So when you are delivering a message and you want to amp everyone up and you want to explain and and be passionate and, and, and spread the passion to them about the topic you're speaking on, if you're talking like this, when you're delivering this exciting message, it's going to be very difficult for the people across the room to feel that passion. But at the same time, if you're talking about something that's dark and down and something that's serious and you've got a smile on your face and you're bubbly the whole time, people are going to be like, it's like a robot. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah, they're going to be like, what's wrong with you? But all the time. I hear people trying to, I hear people giving a message, trying to help people to earn more money or inspire them or motivate them, but their body is telling a completely different story than what their words are saying. And, and there's a lot of the uh, fake gurus online who are doing that kind of thing. And they're, they're doing exactly what we're saying by copying that the people at the top of their profession, they are cloning themselves into that and they're coming with that inauthentic energy high that sort of high energy yeah this is amazing i'm fantastic look what i've achieved look at my ferrari that i'm leaning on here that may or may not actually belong to me or <laughs> stuff like that stuff like that but you know you, you kind of get the same thing it's like a package deal i think more and more people are aware of the lack of authenticity there now and i certainly think there seems to be a much stronger move towards having this more of a relationship with who you buy from rather than the slick salesperson thing. That still works in some, you know, certainly plenty of people doing that and making money with it. But more and more, we're seeing people moving to this, actually wanting to feel like they have some connection and that they can relate to the person who they're going to. And that's not really going to be possible if you and your public persona are not an authentic person, but you're a copy of someone else. So yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting area and, and hope that people ultimately end up learning from those experiences and growing and becoming something a bit more authentic because I think that's going to be critical for the future. I think so too. And, and on that topic, because there's a couple of things you said there, I want to dive into the relationship aspect because I think that's super powerful. But going back to the authenticity and the gestures, one thing that I did take away from Dale Carnegie, by the way, the whole training was incredible. I recommend it to anybody. It was the high impact presentation training that I went through. I went through a couple, but that was one of them. And this especially is great for the people who might struggle to do natural things, quote unquote, natural things with their body while they're speaking. You can't, they they recommend that you over-exaggerate your movements, right? So if you think you're being totally full of expression, there's a chance that you're not as full full of expression as you really are. And this Mm. has to do with your tone. This has to do with the words that you use. It has to do with how fast or slow that you're talking, but it also has to do with your body. And if you don't, if you're struggling with your expressions and being congruent, try to overexpress, right? Because by you overexpressing, it might be perceived in a way that looks normal or more effective to the people who are listening to you. Because let me tell you something that I found by watching the most powerful presenters and the most powerful salespeople, they do it. It's just one or two people in front of them versus 50 or a thousand. The greatest presenters are able to 
place people under their influence, right? They're able to place people into a sort of trance. It's almost like we are hypnotizing the audience. I think that people are being hypnotized every single day of their life. When you actually go through hypnosis, it's almost like you're being dehypnotized in a way because finally yeah. you're going inside, you're finally going into your own mind, your own subconscious. But if you can influence people at the level of placing them in a hypnotic trance, there's very little that you won't be able to get across to those people. But it's one thing to share a message. It's another thing for that message to truly be digested and used. Because when we're mm. speaking and when we're giving a presentation, you might be up there for an hour giving a talk or a keynote or whatever it might be. The people listening are literally, they're realistically going to take away 10 to 20% of what you shared with them. And that's what they'll leave with. After 30 days, you ask them about the talk and they'll, they'll give like one little morsel of information that they might have used, but probably not. The greatest and most effective persuaders in general are able to bring people into their world and place them in a trance to the point where even when they ask for engagement, the room is just like, just not knowing what's going on. Like they're like, oh, was something just asked of me? Like it's like they were literally placed in a trance in that moment. I mean, ha have you seen a similar thing or what do you think? Yeah, I agree completely. And we mentioned Ericsson already, but Ericsson said he believed everyone was in a trance of disempowerment and his job as a hypnotherapist was to help people move into a trance of empowerment rather than disempowerment. And yeah, I, I see that being very much the case. And so much of that is energy led. And mm. you're saying about what makes somebody a good trainer, what makes somebody a, a great person. And one of the things that in my work that I can never really emphasize enough to people, you may or may not know that I've, I've been working with Harbecker for a long, long time as well. And I know that he has often said the same kind of thing in terms of trying to find people to do this kind of work. There's a level of energy you have to bring to the table and you have to have that passion inside of you it has to come from it has to come from somewhere real not mm. from someone I, i'm i'm playing the part of this it has to come from something with you because uh, even actors playing the part have to access something inside of them to pull that through you know if they're going to be any good with it otherwise you just get that they're acting they're playing the playing a part and they're probably not acting very well we want to really channel those things that are inside of us and bring them out and that energy, being able to go to the highs and go to the softness or the maybe more hypnotic states as well, to be able to really captivate people and eating out of your hand, but be really memorable with them and have them actually really paying attention and listening to what you're saying requires a great personal energy. And that's where it really does have to be about them because you are going to be giving so much of yourself. Where, what can I compare it to? I went to see Lady Gaga in concert a few cool. years back. And what an amazing performer. I mean, really, oh, yeah. absolutely amazing performer. And what blew me away more than anything that night was how much of herself she really gives. Like She exhausts herself. She gave every ounce of herself in that performance. Every bit of energy was coming through. I was... It's so impressed by that. You really felt the power from it. You know, that what makes somebody like her a great performer 
there's all that energy that she delivers and take, you know, she goes soft, she'll go high, she, she'll be dancing around, she'll just be on the piano, but always bringing you amazing energy. And that's what people have to bring. And I think that's what people struggle to channel so much of the time. When you're in your head, that's going to stop you from just being able to channel out what's inside of you. And when it becomes about giving and about really delivering for the people who are there to listen to you or to watch you, if you're performing, to watch you perform, if you're speaking, to hear you speak, that's where you can really get out of it and say, okay, you look at perhaps uh, preachers, religious preachers. Some of, some of them have such an amazing passion. I think you only have to listen to some of the speeches of Martin Luther King. Uh, the passion in his voice, the, the depth of energy that he delivers, and again, the highs and the lows, you get this real sense of gravitas, of energy that he delivers. It has to come from somewhere authentic. And if you can channel, if you can actually get in touch with that, your own authentic energy, then you will be the best performer that you can be. I'm so happy you brought up energy because this is the core of all the work that I do with my clients, the people I work with. But first it was the work that I did with myself because I mean, let's bring it to the quantum level for a minute here. Right. And, and there is a purpose of this because you look at the oldest definition of maybe not the oldest definition, but you look at one of the most commonly used definitions of sales. And you know it well, it is the transfer of enthusiasm from one party or person to another. And enthusiasm can also be summed up as energy, right? When you're feeling enthusiastic, you're feeling bubbly, you're feeling full of energy. So I think it's an important question to ask yourself, what is the energy that I'm bringing to a presentation, a sales situation? What's the energy I'm bringing into life every single day? And you've been around, I mean, when you walk into a room with influential people, right? Powerful people, people who are able to control a room and not control might not be the best word, but people who are truly able to influence other people in a good way. They use their power of influence for good. When you're around those people, you could be across the room from them, but you feel that energy. You feel that spark. You feel specific emotions in your body just from being around yeah. those people. And it's because we are beings of energy. If you put us under a, an electron microscope, like at the quantum, quantum level, we are constantly moving. Our, our molecules are moving at a rapid, rapid pace where everything around us is moving. The table's moving, the microphone's moving. Everything is in motion and energy is in motion. So what kind of energy are you bringing? Are you bringing low energy? Are you bringing, uh, it's kind of okay energy, or are you bringing high energy, right? And emotion is the most powerful thing that we could possibly talk about with influence, because if you're not having a great day, then you're not going to be influencing anybody because you haven't influenced yourself yet. Right. And emotions, if you take that word and break it into, right, I'm not sure where I heard this, but emotion is energy that is in motion. So if you're practicing empowering emotions, emotions of confidence. You're feeling good before you go into the retail store or before you pick up the phone that day to make the phone call. You're feeling confident in yourself. You're feeling assured that even if this person doesn't pick up or they don't buy, it's going to be okay because you'll call the next person. That is a very different energy than, oh, you know, I, I hope they don't even pick up the phone. I hope I just go right to their voicemail because I'd rather just talk and not hear them and I don't want the rejection. It's a very different energy. 
right? And the work that I do with people is the same work I did with myself because let me tell you, at the very beginning, John, before I started training teams, anything like that, I wanted to become a leader in the company that I was with, right? I was 21 at this point. I've been in sales for three years. And I went up to my leader at the time and I said, hey, I want to move up into leadership. What do I need to do? And he looked at me and he literally laughed. He said, Brandon, there's no way you're going to be a leader in this company, at least anytime soon. And I was like, what do you mean? I was taken aback. I was shocked. I was honestly, I, I was pretty pissed off. And because no, no one's ever said anything like that to me. I was selling at a high level. I was taking care of my customers, all that stuff. And he said, Brandon, how can you lead other people? And how can you expect people to follow you when you can't even lead or take care of yourself? And at the time, I was 260 pounds. I'm 190 right now, about 195. I was in extreme debt financially, $20,000 in credit card debt at the age of 21, buying guitars and all these other things that I didn't need. And I was just very unhappy with my life. And those emotions brought into the store with me, those emotions on the phone, those emotions in conversation, it was very easy for other people to read based on my energy that I was in a pretty bad place, right? I was depressed. I was anxious. And I had to do a lot of self-work on myself before I was able to influence or truly lead anybody else. So it's all about energy. Yeah, very much that. And yeah, there's the so far of that, I mean, I think back to when I was younger and probably people who knew me, I'd say in my, in my mid to late teens, certainly in probably from first part of my twenties, maybe even a bit beyond, I was somebody who was very lacking in enthusiasm. Like mm. really, I, I would not get enthusiastic about anything. Everything would just be a yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I didn't really ride highs or didn't really have lows. It was just all at, all, all at one level, but it, it was just existing. To me, I look back and it's like, yes, it was just existing. I was going through life as I felt, as an observer, rather than as someone who was participating. And wow. I felt that that was the thing that was the thing that had to change more than anything else. I had to make a choice. Do I want to carry on just observing and feeling outside of everything? Or do, I'm actually going to participate in this life and decide that I'm going to give it some, some meaning and do stuff that has value to me. I can still see both sides of, of this in my thinking, but I know that my life experience is much better when I'm participating, when I'm active, when I get myself motivated and enthusiastic about things. I have a much richer life experience. And I would say that's where, that's where things have really transformed for me, where I've gone from just doing a job that was fun and was okay, that I could have carried on doing probably for forever if, if I'd been allowed to do it, to deciding, well, actually, this isn't really enough for me. I want something more. I, I feel I need to be fulfilled on that high level. And that fulfillment is going to come from helping people and from doing speaking and training and coaching and all the stuff that I love. And, and now it's a including podcasting with that as well. There's one, one more thing into it, but all of these things, it's like they don't in themselves make me excited or passionate. I do that and I bring that to the things that I do. <laughs> and I think that's what sometimes a lot of people don't get as well. It's, like, it's not necessarily the case that everything in life is going to make you excited and passionate and like Napoleon Hill and the Think Approach was like this burning desire thing. 
I just kind of felt for a while, at, uh, first time I read that book, I thought, well, I don't have that. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, you have to have that. And I thought it came from outside. And it was only from time and lessons and learning from amazing people that I realized it has to come from inside. You have to generate that. It's like great when it does come from some external sources, but you can't rely on that all the time. And it's not always going to be there. So what do you do when life throws these stuff at you or the things you want, but you don't feel that burning desire for them? You don't just say, well, maybe I don't really want it that much, which I think is what a lot of people do. Perhaps I don't really want it. Perhaps it's not really for me because I'm not that energetic or I, I'm not sure I'm not sure I can be that person who does that. Like, yeah, you can. You just have to decide that you are going to generate the energy and the enthusiasm and the excitement. You're going to get it from you. And there are certain, definitely practices and things that I brought into my life to help me do that. And, and I wonder if, if you have the same kinds of things in your life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really happy you, you brought that up. And I want to ask you a follow-up question on that after, because if you hadn't if you hadn't been aware that you were simply an observer and you decided and said that you wanted to participate, if that transition didn't happen, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. This is true. And, and the reason for that is because the, the Pareto's law, right? 80% of all results come from 20% of the effort. 80% of all performance and sales comes from 20% of the sales team. And the reality is most people don't even know what they want. They, they don't have a burning desire because they haven't even asked themselves what they want. They're going after things that their parents told them they should want. They're going after things that society told them they should want. Like in high school, all I was told in high school, because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Who does in high school? All I was told was, well, Brandon, you, you got to go to college. Brandon, how many colleges did you apply to so far? How many did you hear back from? And I hadn't applied to any. So when all my friends around me were saying, well, I just got accepted to this school and I got accepted to this university, I was just feeling this sense of this uh, fear of missing out, right? FOMO. And I was like, if they're all doing this, am I doing something wrong by not following along? And it's not that these people knew exactly what they wanted. They were 16, 17 year old kids. It was that they were just following along the path that other people told them to go down. And I started to go down that path. I started going to school for law when I was 18. And that's when I got into sales. And my goal as a lawyer, I actually had a goal, believe it or not. I wanted to make $60,000 a year. That was my pie in the sky number. If I reached that, I could live a happy, fulfilling, purposeful life. And the first year in sales, I made $60,000. It was actually 58,000. And I was like, wait, why am I going to go to school to spend thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt in order to make $2,000 more than I just made in this sales job. I sold cell phones, right? And I was like, Keith, what should I do about this? That was my mentor. And he's like, dude, you've already reached your goal. Drop out. And I was like, drop out. I was like, what do you mean drop out? And he's like, dude, you've already gotten to where you want to get to. Why are you still going to school and paying all this money to, to reach the same goal that you're already at? And I said, that's a really good point. And every year since then, there wasn't a year that I didn't make six figures now that I was fully focused. And the point of what I'm saying is most people still have no idea what they want. And I didn't know what I wanted, even making all that money until I was 21, when I finally realized I love training people. I love speaking to rooms of people. What if I made and, and organized my life around me helping and training other people in the things that I'm passionate about? And that's what I was talking about purpose earlier. The reality is, 97% of people 
This was a study done in 1979 by Harvard, right? So who knows how it is now? But 97% of people have no goals. They have nothing written down for what they want their life to look like. They don't know what's happening a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Even people like Patrick Bet David with his book, Your Next Five Moves, incredible book. I'd recommend everyone read it. Most people don't even know the move that they're on right now. They're just kind of floating through life. And they wonder why they're unhappy. They wonder why they're depressed. They wonder why they're anxious. It's not because you're doing something wrong. It's simply that you haven't decided what you're doing, what direction you're doing is leading you to. Most people are just simply that they're doing and their doing leads them in all these different directions rather than deciding on one outcome that they want and executing in a way that brings them to that one outcome. So it, it's a matter of deciding, but I, I think before you can even decide, you have to have that awareness. So I'm curious, how did you personally go from being an observer? Because I know how, what it was for me, but I'm curious for you. What was the transition from the observer to the participant? What was that like for you? What caused it or yeah. what was the actual experience? What woke like? you up um, in that moment? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a big thinker. And I, I like to think about things a lot. And I think I've certainly been guilty in many times in my life of overthinking things and overanalyzing things. And I know a lot of people do the same. And ultimately, I, I realized that that was a path of inaction for me, where I would spend all my time thinking about things, but not very much time doing them. I would observe what was going on or what I thought at least was going on. And also, a big part of what I would do is project what I thought people thought of me or, or what I thought people thought of things <laughs> onto other people rather than actually find out. And so a lot of it was just a projection, my, my attempts at mind reading as well. And I don't know, something where I met, I met a coach, I met a coach in the airlines that I worked at and she, she was an interesting person. Again, somebody with a great energy. And we were away on a trip for a whole week together. And so I must have pretty much chewed her ears off that whole week of uh, asking her more and more questions about coaching because I just found it so fascinating. And this idea that you could actually help people to improve their lives. And she could tell that I was very hungry for this kind of information. I'd always had a, an interest in psychology, but didn't really want to become a psychologist or a psychiatrist. This seemed like a, a different path to go with sort of in psychological interest that was more solution focused, perhaps, and, and a bit more active. The kind of thing that I liked that like people had often come to me with their problems as a bit of an agony uncle, but mm. I never really liked the whole thing of, well, just unload your problems on me. As I always kind of wanted to, well, let's maybe. Maybe do this, or perhaps think about some options here. Take some action. Don't just mm -hmm. accept things as this is how it is. And that's what coaching felt like for me. And like, oh, I think I found the thing that I really want to do. And that is what set me on that path. And it was really on that coaching journey that I first started to understand this whole difference between being a cause or being an effect. And I know that certainly Tony Robbins talks a lot about it, and so do a lot of other personal development trainers. And so, you know, when you're in effect, the world happens to you and you don't really feel like you have control of your life and then bad things uh, happen and you don't have control over it. You're not really steering the ship. You're just adrift at sea <laughs> in the sea of life <laughs> and you'll end up where you end up. 
Whereas when you're in effect, you are choosing how you are going to show up in your life. You are deciding your destinations or where you want, maybe more than one destination, deciding where you want to go and how you want to go there and steering the ship and commanding the crew and taking, taking control and responsibility and saying, all right, well, this is my life and yeah, okay, I can't control everything that happens within it, but there's a lot that I can. And that's what I'm going to take responsibility for. What? what's in my life that I can control and the outcomes that I can create. And once I really started to get that, that was the turning point for me as I, I can't just be a victim of life anymore. I have to be someone who takes responsibility for what I do, steers the ship of my life in the direction that I want to go and isn't just a, a passive participant of life, but an active participant. So that, that was the shift. And it has only, I'm not saying it's been easy, but it has only ever been empowering. And are there still times where I drift into effect? Yes, I think everybody does. But more often than not, I manage to get myself into self-empowerment, into being a cause in my life. That's a powerful story. And I think it's important to follow that up by saying that if you hadn't gone through that stage of your life, you wouldn't, number one, you probably wouldn't be here again, but you also wouldn't have that story to tell, right? And stories in a way are currency because stories are one of the most powerful thing that you can use when you're influencing, when you're persuading. And for those listening, whatever struggles you're going through right now, that is building up your resume of stories that you can then tell in a presentation situation, in a sales situation. And I remember speaking of the whole unloading of problems, right? When, when you ask people how they're doing, you hear, well, this problem, this problem, this problem. When I work with clients, I use the approach that I learned from the founder of NLP, Richard Bandler, right? I went to a conference in Florida years back, probably about three years ago. And every time he brought someone on the stage and he asked them how he could help them, the person just kept telling him what problem they had. He's like, I don't care about the problem. He's like, what do you want? And the person would say, well, this is what I want, but this is why I can't have it. And they'd go over this story that they've told a thousand times. And Richard's like, what has happened in the past doesn't matter. I don't care. And he's kind of blunt about it. I'm not as blunt as he is. He's also been on the earth a while longer than I have, but he's like, I don't care how you got it. I don't care why you see this image in your mind. All I care about is what do you want this image in your mind to be? All I care about is what you want to move towards and move on to next. And the people would just look at him and they'd say, okay, well, this is what I want. And he'd say, great. Now let me help you to get it. And I think it's especially powerful because in order to influence anybody, you have to first influence yourself. In order to lead anybody, you have to influence yourself because leadership is influence in its rawest form, it's influence. And if you currently take a look at your life and you see problem, 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 I'm not happy with my weight, I'm not happy with my body, I'm not happy with my finances, I'm not happy with with my relationships, then you're going to bring that energy into all these conversations that you have and in every situation. And I think the first step would be number one, have a plan. All right, create a plan, actually decide in what direction you want to move in. And then the second thing is take a look at your life, right? Just like you said, you're a big thinker. For those who aren't, I'm not a big thinker like that, right? I'm more a thinker as I think as I speak to people, right? And I think in the moment fast, not really uh, introspectively. For those who aren't big thinkers, take a look at your life, dedicate some time to ask yourself, where am I physically? Where am I financially? Where am I with my relationships, my spirituality? 
And if you're not where you want to be in one of those areas, the area that's farthest away from where you want to be is probably holding you back from the level of influence that you could be accomplishing. And my advice, just because I've done this in my own life, right? And it was a painful journey, but without that pain, I wouldn't even have the story to tell you right now. Determine what area of your life is lacking the most and tackle it and bring it to a place where you can be satisfied. And a part of that is being specific about where it must be in order for you to feel satisfied, but also where it must be in order for it to support all of the other areas of your life at the same time. So self-mastery in itself leads to influence. Yeah. Uh, what well, one important thing to add to that, because I know I, I've been guilty of it as well, is if those parts of your life that you're not happy with maybe seem to suck right now, stop blaming yourself for it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Just make a decision that you're going to do something about it and make it better. Well said. Well said. And that will be the point of awakening for a lot of people listening right now, just like you had that moment for yourself and just like I had that moment too. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is, I don't know if I really knew what to expect in this conversation today, Brandon, other than it was going to be a good conversation. And it really has been. I know that we will carry it on in some sense when I come visit your show. And I do want to start bringing things to a close now, although I feel like we could easily carry on the conversation, but. I think we've already talked a lot of value and some really big points. And uh, I think this is kind of a good point to start wrapping things up at. But I always like to ask my guests, and you've already mentioned perhaps one of them, but I'd like to get some book recommendations for people, some resources that you think people should check out. And it may be related to what we've been talking about today, or maybe things that have had an impact on you in your own life. But what would be the, the book recommendations or resources that you would most recommend? Some people will not like my first book recommendation. It's like a mixed bag of emotions when I mentioned the first one. But it is a classic and it really has helped to improve my life drastically, which is The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. And it, the premise of this book, you got to get the book. It's a quick read. Don't watch the documentary because that's so cheesy and it's like meant to reach a broad sure. audience. Read the book. It's still cheesy, but the premise is powerful, which is your thoughts become things. You attract to you what you put out there into the world. If you go into a conversation or interaction positive, you're probably going to get a response that's similar to that. You can't expect it, but thoughts become things. So that's the first book I'd recommend. The second one I've been recommending more recently because I never understood the impact on its life until recently that it left on me. And that, there's so many I could recommend, but that book that I'd recommend would be Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell, oh, Maxwell Maltz. Maltz. Have you, you've read that book? Yes. Yeah. I've read the same It's a great well. read. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, the premise of Psycho-Cybernetics is it, Maxwell Maltz was a plastic surgeon who he found that after he helped his clients, a lot of them with the plastic surgery that they wanted they still weren't happy with their self-image. They still weren't seeing themselves the way that they thought they'd see themselves once they got the procedure done. And he found that self-image comes from the way that you think, the, the image that you create in your mind versus the physical changes that are made. And he really dives into the science of visualization and how you can use visualization to become who you want to become, but also to get what you want. So those, there's many I could recommend, but I, I would say those two are a great place to start. They're, they're interesting, interesting recommendations. And I think, like you said, there's, there's maybe some mixed bags or mixed feelings people have about, especially about the secret. 
And and I would say, you know, you've asked, there were some things in psychocybernetics. I was a bit like, oh, I don't know. But ultimately, I think you have to read, read these things with a perspective of, can I take something away from this? Is there something positive that I can apply and take away from this? And if there is, and you actually find it helps your life and improves your life, then then great. Who cares if some of it was a bit cheesy or if some of it doesn't quite <laughs> fit with your belief system or things like that. I can remember reading Neville Goddard's book, Power of Awareness, and sort of thinking, mm. oh, this is really super, super religious-y Bible verses everywhere and stuff like that. Like, I, I'm not at all religious, but and so I thought, well, let's read it anyway. Like, what can I take away from this? And ultimately, I ended up getting a lot of value out of it because I, what I could see was that he wasn't teaching as such the Bible. He was using the stories that he knew well from that to illustrate what he was actually talking about. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was very, in his time, was perhaps quite controversial as a minister because of those sorts of things. But ultimately, what you take away it's like we have that expression, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You can't just decide <laughs> that everything in this book is terrible or wrong because perhaps there's something I'm, I'm not quite comfortable with or something that doesn't quite fit with my system. Take away the stuff that actually helps you and just know that I don't think this perhaps relates to something we talk about earlier, talking about earlier with gurus and the likes. Nobody has all the answers. And that's one of the reasons why I felt particularly that modeling could be quite dangerous in those sorts of extreme where people turn themselves into someone else. Nobody is all perfect. Nobody is so wonderful that you would want to be exactly like them or have their life. And that's just as true for books and literature as well. No one book has all the answers. Sorry, but no one book has all the answers. But you will find answers and you will find things that give you life value and things that you can take away and can be very powerful. And I feel like that's my that's my sermon for today. So thank you for listening to my TED talk. But I, but I think it's I important to, to, make that, by the way. to make that clarification. Cool. One last question for you then. If there was one thing that you would hope that people most take away from having listened to this conversation today, what would it be? I already know it would be be aware of your energy as you make progress through your day. And I don't believe in giving advice without giving like an action step. And so something I'd recommend for people to do is set an alarm on your phone that goes off once an hour that simply asks the question of how are you feeling right now? How are you feeling? When you look at the alarm and you see that question, ask yourself, how am I feeling? If you're feeling great, you're probably attracting some more circumstances. If you're not feeling so great, then it doesn't mean change it, right? It doesn't mean, oh my God, I'm not feeling great. I need to immediately change how I feel. It's not good to feel bad. It, whatever way you feel is okay. The point is ask yourself, well, what's causing me to feel this way? What can I label this emotion? That way you start to, you start to develop this repertoire of emotions so that when you feel them, you know what they are, you know what's causing them. And again, it just brings you more awareness. So just be aware of your energy and use that in order to influence people in a good way. I think that's a, a wonderful message to wrap things up on and certainly a great way to close off everything that we've been talking about today. Brad Denisman, thank you so much for coming and being on the show. Where can people find out more about you? You can find more about me right on my website, BeBetterIndustries.com, but you can also follow me. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where we can have like an actual conversation, but you can find all of my content is on YouTube. So just search Brandon Eastman on YouTube 
and you'll find me and my podcast there. But you can come and check out the Be Better broadcast. Well, we're taking a listen to that as well. And then you can come and connect with you live on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for everything you shared today. I've really enjoyed this conversation uh, and I hope you have too. Thank you, John. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And I really hope that you will go and check out the continuation of this conversation on Brandon's podcast. And you'll find the link for that in the show notes. I have so many amazing guests coming up for you. I have just recently recorded the show with a world-renowned body language expert where we talk about the body language of influence. I know you're going to love that. I've got some PR experts, storytelling experts, and more besides. You're going to love the people coming up. So make sure you're subscribed for future episodes of the show. If you got any value from the show today, please do let us know. Look, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it's really easy to leave a review please do that make sure you're following the show and go and leave us a review let us know how we're doing what you like maybe what we could improve upon you can also do that through Podchaser. so however you choose to leave a review for the show let us know you're listening let us know what you like and let us know what we could be doing even better for you for the show for the future if you would like to support the show financially for as little as five US dollars a month you can buy me a coffee which helps me stay fueled for making the show and also gives us some real valuable support. There are membership levels as well, so you can become a member, get some access to exclusive content and interview access direct to my guests. And there are sponsorship opportunities available as well for anyone who may be interested in supporting a show that is all about influence and persuasion in professional life. Look out for my next show where I'm speaking to Sam Knowles about how to present technical information that doesn't bore people to tears and actually keeps people engaged and exciting. He's a great guest, some really good information. I know you're going to love that, especially if you are someone who has to deliver any kind of technical information at any point. Don't miss that. See you again soon. Go and make great things happen.